large language models similar to GPT-3's level in terms of performance have plummeted in cost from 4.6 million in 2020 to 450,000 in 2022. So that's a 70% decline. But there was a study released recently that said by 2030, the training cost of GPT-3 will come down to $30. Before we get into the show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing at a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. HubSpot's all-in-one platform connects your teams together. Plus, they have a bunch of resources to help you scale, and they offer discounts of up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. Today, we have five juicy takeaways from OpenAI's secret leaked product roadmap interview. You're going to want to stick around. It is all about how these are going to impact you and your business. I am Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot, joined, as always, by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, who's the CMO over at Zapier. And this is Marketing Against the Grain. Let's get into today's show. It's not often on the show we get a little information plus intrigue plus a little online drama and secrecy. But that's what's here today because one of the most important companies on the internet today, a company called OpenAI, and they're one of the predominant large language models. And their founder, a guy named Sam Altman, did kind of a very intimate interview with different developers who use their platform and shared a lot of kind of forward-looking thoughts, not just on OpenAI, but AI overall. Then that meeting kind of got leaked and published online. Then it got taken down. Like, break it down for everybody. What actually happened here? There was this article going around. I think it's been doing the rounds. And it's about, it was Sam yeah. Altman hanging out with some developers, talking freely about OpenAI's future roadmap. And the article seems to have disappeared. But if you go in the Wayback Machine, you can actually get snippets of it. And I thought what would be cool is to go through five of the biggest points Ooh. and really just jam on them. So yes. the first one is what, is the biggest limitation for AI companies at the moment. And this is really good for NVIDIA, and it's why they're going to be a trillion-dollar company. <laughs> it is because the biggest limitation all these companies have right now is GPU shortages. And that is the thing yes. they are most struggling with, is the GPU shortages. No one can get them. They're impossible to get. And that is the biggest limitation to AI models progressing right now. AI's biggest problem isn't software. It's hardware. It's hardware. It is the hardware to scale and run the models run them to the depth that they want, to the speed that they want, all of those things, right? And there's been a lot of stuff in the news recently about NVIDIA's market cap going up, them being a trillion dollar company. And this is why, because there's always a part of constraint in the supply chain of anything. I don't care what it is. If there's a high demand for something, there's always a bottleneck that kind of where everything gets stopped up. And what it is now for, whether it be OpenAI or any AI company, what we're saying it's essentially GPU and essentially the processors and graphics cards necessary to run these models. Right. Who would have known that it may still be worth investing in NVIDIA? In NVIDIA. Like I actually thought after the cryptocurrency craze, they were overpriced, but no, they're not. Well, that's the thing is you didn't realize that the cryptocurrency boom and the AI boom would have one like a diagram of one company <laughs> yeah, and it was NVIDIA. And if you knew that, you, you would have bought NVIDIA a lot stuff NVIDIA. like five years I ago. I would have bought a lot of NVIDIA. The second one, I think it gets into like much more interesting things. So what is our near-term roadmap? So the first one I want to touch on is his big thing is to try to continue to make things cheaper and faster. 
and they just want to drive the cost of intelligence down. And so I want to bring you through a couple of stats to talk about oh, let's do it. how crazy it is in terms of how much the costs have come down and how impactful that's going to be on all of us and marketers, business people, everyone. Yeah. And so large language models similar to GPT-3's level in terms of performance have plummeted in costs from 4.6 million in 2020, like a cycle of them, to 450,000 in 2022. But there was a study released recently that said by 2030, the training cost of GPT-3 will come down to $30. In 10 years, from $4.6 million to $30. Well, I mean, the fact that you've gone from 46 to 450 in two years, that's an order of magnitude essentially right. in two years is wild. So it also doesn't make it seem crazy. This is also, the, the $30 is also Kathy Wood's arc forecast I see here. Yep. And I do think they are a little optimistic. So maybe it's not $30, but maybe it's hundreds of dollars or single digit thousands of dollars. Regardless, what that means is the cost of having specialized models with real sophistication is going to get really, really cheap, which means you're going to be able to use them for every and anything under the sun, yeah. right? They, this is an accessibility thing for everybody watching the show today, that the cost is going down while the speed is going up. And it's already changed dramatically in the last couple of years. And we see that just in our day-to-day -day use of whether it be ChatGPT or other AI products, they are faster. What's funny to me is like, it's funny how jaded we are as humans, right? Like if I told you like, hey, I can give you a robot and that robot can answer any question you have. And oh, oh and you can just keep asking it different versions of that question until you get the perfect answer you want. And it can do that anytime, day or night, and it can do it in seconds. But it's going to cost you $465,000. Most businesses would have been like, great. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll, I'll take that. Sign, sign me up. That sounds, that sounds incredibly the, just, cheap. Just the of it. Now we're talking about that going way, way cheaper. The innovation on log. Let, let me just give you another incredible stat about this. This is why cheaper matters is because coming back to like the discussion we've had about Google having suddenly much more competitors and how transformative it's going to be to have these kind of costs, you can actually have chatbot applications similar to chat GPT level, GPT-4, deployable on a massive scale. So it is estimated that it will cost around $650 to run a billion queries in this new world. Just put this into equivalent <laughs> of Google, and they think it has the potential to run 8.5 billion searches per day for $650 which is equivalent to Google search. Nuts. That's how much Google does each and every day. Yeah, so for each and every day, search volume. so you can actually compete on Google in terms of like magnitude of scale with a chat GPT type experience for $650 a day, $650 which, a day. If, if that's true, everybody's like, well, so what? Like Google just means Google's gonna save a bunch of money. Yes, and it also just means you could run a very specialized, highly verticalized search engine for anything. That is like exactly. ultra precise exactly. for a for certain like, vertical. It's like, cool, I can now run the best auto parts database and search in the entire world, right? I take all these OEM parts and everything from auto suppliers. I train a model on it and I can monetize it for millions of dollars a year instead of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year and have a nice business because my costs are so low. And this is one of the things that you and I have been talking about for a while is that we're going to have more smaller businesses. 
because costs are going to come down so low that you can have a more niche and more focused. You can have more smaller businesses. And then because of the costs, every singular company is going to have a co-pilot, like some sort of co-pilot experience. So like this is a good example here of Coden, right? So this is showing you the minutes reduction in time to do work between a human and an AI. So this is a, a co-pilot for Coden. And it's showing you there's a reduction in 55% in terms of like the amount of minutes it takes me to do the same amount of work. And this is what's happening is like, okay, well, we, we are getting this stuff much cheaper. I can like build an equivalent of Google chat GBT comparable to like the same mm-hmm. scale as Google for $650. How am I not going to have a co-pilot to do a bunch of work for me within my company and everything becomes some form of like human and AI partnership to get work done. And I think that's the big thing for our listeners to understand, like costs are really important. Like it might just sound like, oh, cost, like why is that the most important thing? It's the most important thing because that scale of reduction in costs to really just nominal costs. It creates economic viability. It creates economic, for for everybody. It lets everybody into the game. And that is, that, that's well, incredible. So, so Kieran, think, think about this. I work at HubSpot. We're in the customer relationship management software market where people, you know, basically upload their contacts. They manage those contacts, engage with those contacts, accounts, companies, et cetera. You were at HubSpot for a long time. You understand that game. The big thing in CRM, for example, is custom objects. And that's an object right. that allows you to take disparate types of information run a formula and create like a very singular field for a human to see or for an automation to act on, et cetera, right? What you're saying here is that we will have custom models like custom objects. Yes. That yeah. every company every, running custom a model. CRM will have multiple custom models to do parts of their activities. It's not just like one co-pilot. There's going to be lots of very niche co-pilots for different parts of your customer 100%. experience. You're going to be running different kind of co-pilots and custom models in the same way that companies today are running custom objects. At the end, I think we are going to see this commoditization and accessibility of models proliferate into every part of business. And I think we think of them as like these big centralized things right now. They're going to be as small and as normal as like a custom object in a CRM. Exactly. I've seen more and more AI founders tell me they're going vertical. They're going to start vertical and Mm -hmm. apply their model to a vertical and then try to figure out how to replicate that per vertical. The reason they're doing that is because they're trying to figure out how to be much more sticky. And I think that's a really important thing is like they're trying to figure out how not to get commoditized. So that's cheap. The second part of the roadmap he talked about, which is one of the more important things were like context windows. And so I wanted to give our listeners a quick example of why context windows is the second thing that is like really, really important in terms of like evolution of AI models. And so this is like the current, kind of set up, right? Like this is token limits you can have, which are context windows. So token limits is basically how much data can that AI session hold so you can manipulate that data and do something with it. So this is like Google Bard all the way down to Claude. So Claude's from Anthropic. They have 100,000 tokens that you can use. And so to put that in the language, I think a lot of our listeners will understand. So imagine there's a Chrome extension from a company called Cake AI. It allows you to actually create transcripts for a YouTube video. So let's say I want to go and get some summaries of YouTube videos that are performing really, really well, but I don't have the time to like watch hours and hours of footage. So I get my Cake AI Chrome extension 
and I can just get the transcriptions for those. And so if I was using GPT-4, I can actually add the transcription into GPT-4 and get it to summarize that and then start querying the actual data. Now, given its current token limit, that's about a 10 to 12 minute YouTube video. That's what I could get done in GPT-4. In Claude, I can get done a two hour YouTube video. So I can get the transcript for a two hour YouTube video, like one of my Lex Friedman, where he's like really going intense <laughs> on aliens, which I really love. Like, where are all these aliens? They're out you there somewhere. Watch, you would totally watch the Lex oh, Friedman. I, I watch all the alien stuff on Lex Friedman. I know all the people watch other stuff. I like when he gets into the aliens. But you can get a two hour Lex Friedman video. You can actually go through, if you want to do this today and you want to use Claude, go to Poe. So Poe is the chatbot from Quora.com. And they actually allow you to use query different models. And you should, you can just go to use Claude through Poe, add in the transcription and get the 100K token limit today. So you can actually go do that today through Poe. And I think that's what Sam Altman was talking about is he wants to continue to get more and more context for people yes. into these sessions and have bigger and bigger token limits. Because there's two sides of this, right? And this is something if you're watching, I want you to really understand. The first side is as a user, you're like, wow, I want much higher token limits for all of the use cases you just said, Kieran. Complex contracts, strategy documents, university lectures, all of those things where you're like, wow, I would love this to be extremely well summarized or repackaged or what have you. Then the flip side of it, Kieran, is all of these models as token limits get bigger they have a much better ingestion of information, feedback loops. The models get better and better as they have more information to be trained on. And when you have bigger token limits, you can train on more information, right? Exactly. So this is one of those win-win things. So if you're somebody like OpenAI or Anthropic, what have you, expanding that token limit gives you some unfair advantage in your model and how that model is built and continues to train. Right. He wants to get to a million tokens which means that you can have that amount of, let's again, keep That's going crazy. with the YouTube video. So you can get a two hour video with 100,000 tokens. So you can get with a million, you can get a 10 hour YouTube video. You can get 10 hours of footage. That'd be like, you can take all the Star Wars movies. Yeah, and put like, them in, exactly. a franchise of movies and put them in there. And right? have it, you can put all the Harry, most of the Harry Potter movies in there yeah, and start to like do movies. like weird stuff with the Harry Potter stuff and manipulate it. So I like, mean, we don't need Goblet of Fire anyway, so it's okay. We can just leave we'll that just one. We just leave that one. So you can, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get rocked in the YouTube comments by the fire. five people. I like all Harry Potter movies. I would like to say when they finished the movies, it was another like eight years or something before I ever watched my first movie. It was like two years ago I watched my very first ever Harry Potter movie. Jeez. We're, and I was we're, like, we're, these are good. I just, I refused to watch A Little Wizard. I just didn't think I would be into it. And then you realized it was actually a then really I story. Like, I was, then I realized wizards are dope. <laughs> wizards are dope. <laughs> super dope. <laughs> We'll be right back, but let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. 
Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so cheap, bigger context windows. I'm going to skip a couple of the others because they're very developer-specific to get into one that's very applicable for marketers, multimodality. Multimodality is the ability for AI to understand text, video, images, and give you back text, video, images. So in this world, you can actually have AI take in a bunch of information, create a video for you around that, take in a bunch of information, create images, take your images, create videos, take your videos, create text. And I think that is going to be like this conglomerate of an interface. We talked about this in our AI image wars, Mm -hmm. where you have like images coming into Bard. And so you have like these search engines and Bing, which can do the text, can do the images. I think in the future, what OpenAI wants to be is this conglomerate of a chat interface where it can actually do all the different things. And so by 2024, marketers are going to have multi-modality. And I think that is going to be the biggest transformational thing that has happened since the release of ChatGPT. Tell us more. Why? That's a bold statement. The biggest thing since ChatGPT. Because why? Because I think it's going to create personalization on a scale that we have never seen before, right? Like it's going to be able to create the video when you need the video. It's going to be able to create and dictate something in images when you need the images. It's going to be able to take all of your information. So coming back to one of the AI ideas we gave our audience last week where I was talking about this AI secret shopper. And the AI secret shopper is going through my onboarding flow and looking at the emails and critiquing the emails. Now, what can't it do? I mentioned this as a flaw in my idea or the thing that I'm trying to do. What I realized is a lot of our onboarding emails have video, have images. And so all I can get critiqued today is the text. In multimodality, it can actually read the images. It can read the video and it can critique it. And if I wanted to, I can say, okay, create me a better version of that image. Create me a better version of that video. And I think that is going to lead to mass personalization for our customers on a scale that we have not seen to date, even though AI has been already transformative for personalization. I got a crazy example here. Tell me tell me if you think this would be true or not. I think there is a part of, in the marketing world, there are what's called website heat maps and they're website heat map technology that shows you where people basically spend time on a web page, right? And I largely found those to be fairly not that useful. I won't say they're useless, but their value is low. Like it seems to me, Kieran, in a multimodal AI world, you'll be able to actually translate that visual heat map information into a model to like real time change the design and layout of the website, even potentially on a per person basis. Yeah, it can read. Right? Which, it, which it is, can, that's exactly. the modality of like, hey, we have this visual right. of, of, of how people are interested and we can take that and then translate that into code that then's going to translate that into a new page. Like that's pretty sick. Yeah, this is multimodality, personalization on a scale we have not seen to date because today we are still limited in the fact that we can kind of do the text to text or create some images, but like that cross pollinization of content to different formats And the ability for AI to understand all those formats and ingest those formats, I think it's going to be incredibly powerful for marketing. We should talk more about that on some upcoming shows, because I think you're right on that. By the way, Kieran, you've had some victory laps recently. You've been right about a lot of stuff on the AI front. I think this is going to be a future victory lap for you, because 
I think I was probably sleeping on multimodal. Like I knew it was going to be a big deal, but now the way you just broke it down, I'm like, no, no, no. It's going to be like not a thing, but the thing. It's going to be the thing. I think it's going to be the, the thing. thing. And so that's so we've gone from cheap context windows, multimodality, which is going to be incredible. The other one I wanted to throw in before I get to the last one is the other thing, and then this may be why the interview got taken down, was he <laughs> Sam mentioned that plugins do not have product market fit outside of their Verizon plugin. Yes, and even the Verizon plugin. Tweet on this. Yeah, I thought it was so funny. The Verizon plugin is like the the Bing AI chat. And the line he said, which I thought was super relevant, was he suggested that a lot of people thought that they wanted their apps to be inside chat GPT. But what they really wanted was ChatGPT inside of their apps. Yes. So this thing where we thought of ChatGPT as being like the iPhone and you could access, it's going to be like the UI interface for all of the applications you access them through OpenAI and ChatGPT. That's not what they're finding. They're finding what people really want is like keep their apps, go to their apps, but their apps to have natural language capabilities. And I think that is a very important distinction to make. Oh, well, first of all, I love the way he said it because it was just super clear and resonates really deeply. But it, it fits with something we've been talking about for a while, which, you know, in the early days of ChatGPT, you thought that like a conversational, a text-based user experience was going to become really important. And what you're seeing now, whether it be in Adobe Firefly, with this comment from Sam, lots of other use cases, is that humans basically want both a visual user interface and a chat user interface, right? Exactly. And the best experiences for a person is going to have both. You know, if, if you're totally relying on one or the other, like a blank command line text box to enter stuff in is pretty intimidating for the average person. Right. Right. But if you're like, hey, I'm editing this image and I just want this bird to be black instead of brown. Like, I just want to be able to type that in because it's actually way easier to type the thing I want you to do and then like go find it in some crazy dropdown menu, right? right? There are different scenarios and times in which one is way better than the other. And that's why I think we're going to see them merge pretty heavily. Yeah, I think natural language chat cannibalizes a lot of usage and starts to migrate a lot of it into chat, but doesn't migrate all of it. And I think most platforms will have some sort of natural language layer within them. Like Adobe is a good example yeah. of a platform that just added a natural language layer. I think all platforms add some sort of natural language capabilities. This actually speaks to like a wild stat that I saw over the weekend where they talked about the investment in generative AI going from 40 billion, which it is today, which actually surprised me. I thought it might be more, but to 1.3 yeah. trillion to 2032. And the things that drove that outside of like servers and GPUs is actually investments, not from like VCs or anything like that. It's investments from like the largest technology companies like the Google, Amazon, Adobe, all these huge platforms, conglomerates invest in much more in AI. And that really speaks to every platform is going to be natural languaged. Like they're going to have a natural language layer within them. At some point, we should do an innovator's dilemma, like 2.0 episode, where like it used to be like, Clay Christensen famously wrote the book Innovator's Dilemma and shows how big, you know, established companies get disrupted. Everybody's read that book and the big companies are getting really good at, yeah, at yeah, evolving yeah. and investing. Not getting disrupted. And I think we should talk about what it looks like, what the new version of that innovator's dilemma are. I think we have some ideas, so we should we should do that. That'd That's why fun. Facebook by WhatsApp. That's why Facebook by Instagram, because yes. Mark's read that book. He's he's out there, he's doing the Murph in exactly. under 40 minutes. And now you're having government cross- regulators kind of block that and basically cause the innovator's right. dilemma, which is a whole different thing. Mark Zuckerberg, man. He's winning the internet. He's doing CrossFit. He's judoing. He's like, he's the man. He's the best nerd founder out there. 
I'm going to put know it down. I, I, I've, been, I've been on record that all I actually want is for billionaires to be cool and be billionaires. I think Zuckerberg's right? cool. Like, if you're going to be a billionaire, like, own a big, big part of an island in Hawaii, be super healthy. Dude, Zuckerberg fit. rented out. Like, he's killing it. The entire, so UFC do these fights in this thing called the Apex. And he has a yeah. favorite fighter. She's a Brazilian fighter. And he really likes her. And because she's from a judo background, he seems to be into judo. He rents out yeah. the entire thing just for himself to go watch her fight. Like on a, and went to the entire card, like tens of fights to get to her main event, but just rented the entire thing for himself. <laughs> he's the only person there with a few of his friends. That's, that's I what like, I want people dude, to do. If he's you've got a lot of means, like, don't be lame. Don't be lame. Come like, on, you have money. Warren yeah. Buffett, I, you're, you're, you're brilliant, dude. But like... You've lived kind of a boring life, yeah, man. Like, the, I'm here for people who are out doing their thing. These stories of like billionaires eating the same food and driving a car, I don't find that like awesome and respect that person. No, I don't find that. I find that the complete opposite <laughs> yeah, of awesome. Give me actually. the money and I will do something way more, way, way better. Okay, let's, let, let's, let's end on this point because this is the one that you and I okay, have talked about go. repeatedly. And again, this could be one of the reasons they let the interview take, took it down because I thought it was really revealing. So what have we talked about? Open AI, a lot of what we talked about and a lot of what people have debated is are they a platform company or a consumer company? ChatGPT is obviously a consumer product, but a lot of people are building on OpenAI's platform. Now, when you are starting to compete with your partners, that is a recipe for disaster if you want to be a platform company, right? You cannot just go out and compete with all your customers. And so what he said was outside of ChatGPT, they are not going to build any more consumer products. And I thought that oh, was like a really important thing. It's really important. For him to say that for partners or for people who want to build on top of their platform. And I think it's really great for founders and entrepreneurs because there's a ton of things that they can build that OpenAI won't seem to, don't seem like they're going to compete with them on. If that's true, what that really means is he is going to build a true platform. True platform. That is going to have a few consumer touch points, but it's mostly going to be a true like B2B platform where developers all over the world can build on top of it. And that's more like them trying to be the next coming of something like Amazon Web Services or Azure or what have you. Exactly. Where you're this big, big platform that, you know, hundreds of thousands of developers and businesses around the world build on. Which Hardware. I think is, by the way, I think it's the right strategy. Oh, yeah. I think he's a smart person. I think that's what I would do if I was yeah. in a situation. The money's in platform, not consumer. Yeah, 100%. Look, Here's a little cheat sheet for everybody watching. If you want to make money, follow boring things. The more boring the thing is, the more there is money in it. The more flashy and sexy that thing is, there's no money in that. Because people are like, oh, it's just so cool. You should be honored to get to do this. Or we're a consumer. We don't need to pay you any money. We're used to getting all this stuff for free. All of the money is in the boring stuff. Sam is a smart person. He knows that. And I love that OpenAI is going in that direction. Yeah. Born sh** makes money. There you go. TLDR, stamp it of approval. Say maybe, you like maybe, comments. Let's maybe, go. maybe that's why you and I are so boring. Here. We just, we <laughs> just want to money. follow the money. Show me the money. All right. So I, I thought that was pretty awesome that we were able to get a window into the future of OpenAI because I think they're one of the more important companies right now in the next era of the internet, the next era of technology. And I think, by the way, most of that stuff was very smart and I think net positive for businesses who are trying to grow and build new products and even just build their own business. So I think we took a lot away from that, kind of broke it down over the course of it. We'll link up in the show description a link to that so that if you want to make your own interpretations, you can. But I think Kieran did a great job of pulling out like the juiciest, most important parts of that 
hit that subscribe button on YouTube. We really appreciate you being with us today, and we'll be back real soon on Marketing Instagram. <laughs>